Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Thursday, December 29th slate of bowl games. There are three of them to talk about. We're also going to be recapping a little bit of the action from Monday and Tuesday. There was definitely some noteworthy stuff that was going on, so you'll kind of get my reactions to that as well. Uh, we also do have an episode that came out earlier this morning previewing Wednesday's bowl game slate as well. So check the podcast feed if you are looking for previews of those bowl games. It is up there. As always, if you want my full DFS picks, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. And make sure you are following me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks, doing some extra stats and facts that I don't always get to during the episode. And also, I'm more than happy to answer any lineup or start sit questions that you may have. Make sure you're staying tuned to the podcast feed for the rest of the week, y'all. We will have college football content coming out for the remainder of bowl season, and we will be um, previewing this weekend of NFL action also. So just make sure you are staying tuned for that. All right, so this episode, let's start it with our reaction from Monday and Tuesday's bowls. If you are not interested in that, just skip ahead about three or four minutes. That will take you to uh, the Thursday bowl preview. Uh, But before we do that, let's get a quick word in from our friends at Anchor. All right, so let's quickly recap the Monday and Tuesday Bowls. So Monday, we only had a showdown slate. It was the Quick Lane Bowl featuring New Mexico State and Bowling Green. And honestly, it kind of ended up being one of the, I don't want to say worst, but one of the let's say, weirdest showdown slates that I can recall in recent memory. So Bowling Green's quarterback, Matt McDonald, was like the highest-priced option on the showdown slate, and he took an injury off of an illegal hit, in my opinion, in the first quarter and was done for the rest of the game. And so you had a situation where like 70% of people played a quarterback who didn't take a snap after the first quarter. And so it would kind of just stunk to have your lineup ruined. My, I mean, I didn't even have him as my captain, but I did have him in a lot of my lineups. And so that was just ruined like right away. And pretty much the only way to win the slate was to just have New Mexico State's quarterback and not have Bowling Green's quarterback. And what made it even worse was the fact that like Bowling Green, they scored one touchdown on a kickoff return and they scored a safety as well. And then you had, like, New Mexico State, it was, like, backups that were scoring. It wasn't, like, the starters. So it was just a super weird, super weird showdown slate, super weird situation. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's like a random lineup generator would have had to come up with the winning lineup. It wasn't something that somebody could have logically created. DraftKings also messed up, in my opinion. They didn't even have Bowling Green's kicker on the slate, which... To me, there's no excuse for that at this point. It's their last game of the season. How do you not have their kicker in your database? But anyway, just a weird showdown slate and just kind of an example of the pros and cons of showdown. Showdown can be very fun, but it can also end up with situations where when you have an injury like that, it's just going to ruin uh, so many lineups just instantly if somebody gets hurt. Now, the Tuesday bowl games. Very interesting situation we got to talk about. We got to talk about the Jeremy Singleton situation, y'all. So Jeremy Singleton was a receiver that I talked about here on the podcast. He was minimum priced on DraftKings at $3,000, and I hyped him up as being the best value play of the slate. Numerous other college football, daily fantasy websites, Twitter pages, podcasts did the same thing and hyped him up as a guy that was going to provide you great value. He was going to be the chalk receiver of the slate, right? And four hours before the bowl game, Jeremy Singleton tweeted one last ride, right? So which would incline you to believe that he's playing in the bowl game. 
And then come to find out once kickoff happens, Jeremy Singleton is nowhere to be found. And so apparently through all their internet research I could have, there was no beat writer on Twitter. There was no you know, message board. There was no indication online about Jeremy Singleton not playing. The only thing that anybody had was if you were actually at the stadium or if you had a radio broadcast, which who listens to radio anymore? So those were the only two ways that you could have possibly known that Jeremy Singleton was not playing. And again, I'm not faulting a college kid for this. Like, I'm not blaming Jeremy Singleton. I'm sure he's got a lot of people in his ear that, you know, told him to opt out or not opt out. But it just, it, it was a crappy situation for DFS players and for anybody playing, you know, prize picks, player pop, props or something like that. It was a crappy situation that a guy who, by every indication, was going to play you know, we had no indication that he wasn't going to play. And so, you know, a lot of my lineups and a lot of people were really screwed out of, you know, those potential Jeremy Singleton points. And it just kind of like, like this is college football DFS at this point, y'all. Like it just stinks that we don't have more reliable beat writers to get us more accurate injury information before tip off. To me, that's something that college football needs to go in and look at because if you want to, you know, make more money off of these products like DFS, you know, player props, gambling. If you want to make more money off of this for college football, which will get more people watching, then you need to be more transparent with your injuries. And there's just a lot of teams and a lot of programs. I know people on Twitter get up in arms about the Houston beat writer being off a few times this year. There needs to be more consistent reporting of injuries. So that way people don't feel scorned when they play a guy who doesn't end up playing a snap. So that's just my personal opinion. It was a crappy situation, but it, it's something that until unless college football changes the rules, it's something that's going to happen, and, it, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, again, I'm not faulting Jeremy Singleton. Obviously, he's doing what he thinks is best for him. I'm not mad at the guy at all. You know, he's just a college kid. But I think that there needs to be some accountability from the reporters, from the team, from something that indicates that he's not playing if he is, in fact, not playing. All right, so... Enough with the went Monday and Tuesday recap. The rest of the bowls on Tuesday actually went pretty much according to schedule. I did call Holton Aylers here on the podcast that he was my guy, my number one quarterback. And if you stacked him with C.J. Johnson and Isaiah Winstead, you probably had a pretty good day, which is what I can say that I actually did get right here on the podcast. I was very wrong about Seth Hannigan. I said he had very little upside, and he actually showed he had a lot of upside. But anyway, it was a decent episode from the podcast, in all honesty, except for the Jeremy Singleton pick. So um, anyway, that it is what it is. Just make sure when you're playing these bowl games for DFS contest, do everything you can to monitor the injuries before kickoff. Search the name on Twitter. Search the name on Google. Um, you know, watch the TV broadcast, anything you can do to get that information, get it. If I see something for guys that I'm hyping up to pick, I will generally put it on Twitter. But you know, with the Jeremy Singleton situation, unless you were listening to radio, you didn't have a chance. All right, so enough with the recap. Let's go ahead and move on to the Thursday Bowls. Let's start by breaking down the quarterback position. All right, so we've got a small three-game slate here, which means we got six quarterbacks that are going to be starting. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm only going to talk about five. I am not interested in playing the Minnesota starting quarterback, no matter who it ends up being. So not going to be talking about that one. So let's talk about the first quarterback on the board is Michael Penix Jr. He is the leader in salary. However, he is not my number one play for this slate. He has been great all season. He's been over 25 fantasy points in seven out of 12 games. But this Texas defense has been pretty stingy to quarterbacks. 
So they gave up five fantasy points to Max Duggan. They gave up 13 fantasy points to Bryce Young. And they gave up 10 fantasy points to Frank Harris you know, of UT San Antonio, who had a very good season after that game. So those are three just absolute dud games where if you played those guys, you were pretty much just screwed. Now, you know, if you think I'm cherry picking, they did give up great days to Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State and Adrian Martinez of Kansas State. Both of those guys had over 25 fantasy points against them. But I just, I think that there's better options if you pay down than paying up for Penix who could give you a dud performance because the Texas defense is pretty stout. So I would rather pay down, but I definitely get if you want to pay up for Penix. If you think I'm a little bit biased because I'm a Texas fan, maybe there is, I don't know. But I definitely think that Penix Jr., he's been great all season, but I just don't want to be the guy that plays him and has him get 10 fantasy points. Now, Oklahoma's Dylan Gabriel. Now, I am a Texas fan, but I do like playing Dylan Gabriel in this spot. He missed the Texas game and most of the TCU game due to injury. But since returning from injury, he has 25 fantasy points in four of his six games. And looking at this, here's the interesting spot with Dylan Gabriel, that this is going to be a boom or bust start. His team is implied for 28 points in this game. And that 28-point line is the exact line of demarcation on whether or not Dylan Gabriel has a good fantasy performance or a bad fantasy performance. I'm not kidding. If you look at his game log, in games where Oklahoma scores more than 28, Dylan Gabriel's great. In games where Oklahoma scores less than 28, Dylan Gabriel's not great. I think they can definitely get the 28 here in this game against FSU, and I would rather play Dylan Gabriel than Michael Penix. However, I would have him ranked second behind my next quarterback that I'm going to talk about, which is Jordan Travis of Florida State. He is my number one quarterback on this slate. He hasn't been under 20 fantasy points since game two. Florida State has the highest team total of the day, so they are projected to score more points than any other team on the slate. And Oklahoma really struggles against rushing quarterbacks. They gave up huge days to Max Duggan and Adrian Martinez. Adrian Martinez ran for like 150 yards and four touchdowns against him. Jordan Travis, I don't expect to do that, but I definitely think it's very legitimate that he could have 80 rushing yards and at least one touchdown against him. And Quinn Ewers and Tyler Shue both had 25-plus fantasy point performances exclusively through the air. So, you know, Oklahoma's been burned in this season by rushing quarterbacks and quarterbacks that beat you from the pocket. And Jordan Travis is a guy who can do both. So I definitely think Jordan Travis is my number one option at the quarterback position for this slate. Now, if you're looking for a little bit of value, Garrett Schrader has decent value for his price tag. He has over 20 fantasy points in eight of the 11 games that he played this season. However, he did struggle against upper echelon defenses like Notre Dame and like NC State. So I'm just not really interested in playing Garrett Schrader. I think that he's a very good contrarian play if you're playing GPP. He has a little bit of upside, but I just, I don't know. I don't think I can get there on Garrett Schrader this slate. Texas's Quinn Ewers is in a very interesting spot because I don't think that he's had a whole lot of upside this season. He has only two games over 20 fantasy points. And if you look, if you watch Texas's recent games, which I have, I've watched almost every snap of Texas football this season, and it's been quite mind-boggling. Um, they're really just running the football. But when they were running the football, it was with B. John Robinson. So, you know, best running back in college football, yeah, you're going to give it to him 40 times, right? So they don't have Bijan Robinson in this game. He's headed to the NFL draft. He's headed to the top 10 of the first round of the NFL draft. Um, so maybe, does that give Quinn Ewers a little bit of upside if maybe they're going to be throwing the ball a little bit more? I don't know. I think that that definitely is an interesting, 
interesting situation to monitor. I might play Quinn Ewers in a lineup or two, but I'm not sitting here and saying that like Quinn Ewers is definitely going to have 25 fantasy points because there's no B. John Robinson. If anything, I could see somebody making the opposite argument and being like, well, if there's no B. John, then there's not going to be the play-action game, and that kind of will limit Quinn Ewers also because Quinn Ewers does a lot of damage on play-action in getting you know the ball to Xavier Worthy and Jatavion Sanders on these crossing rounds. So I could definitely see it going either way, but I definitely think that he could – be in line for a boom performance with no Bijan Robinson in the backfield. So when building my lineups today, I'm going to be starting most of them with Jordan Travis. From there, I think if I'm looking to spend up at the skill positions, I'm probably going to play Schrader or Ewers, but I definitely could see myself paying up for Penix Jr. or for Dylan Gabriel if I want to kind of find some values at the skill positions. All right, so that does it for the quarterback position. Let's go ahead and switch on over to the running backs. So looking at the running back position, when Texas has been in action, the first name to talk about has always been Bijan Robinson. So I will talk about him again here just for a little bit. Um, he is headed for the NFL draft. Wish him all the best of luck. As both a DFS player and a Texas fan, he will be greatly missed. He's going to go down in history as probably Texas' third best running back of all time behind Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams. And I wish him all the best of luck in the NFL. Speaking of NFL, Bijan's normal backup, Roshan Johnson, who also had a very good career for the Longhorns, is going to the NFL as well. And so that leaves open two big opportunities for two very low price backs who are two of my top plays on this slate. I don't think I would play them together, but I definitely think that both of them have upside in their own way. Jonathan Brooks is $4,900 on DraftKings, and I think he will get the every down back role that you see out of B. John Robinson. He actually got this role against Kansas in the second half when Roshan Johnson was hurt and B. John Robinson, they subbed him out because it was a blowout. And Jonathan Brooks had 25.8 fantasy points in just one half against Kansas. He's a very talented young player, and I can definitely see him just immediately being the bell cow. Now, another guy to look out for is Keelan Robinson. He's going to be $3,900, and he will be used in some capacity. So Keelan Robinson, my comparison is, if you remember Curtis Samuel when he was at Ohio State, when Ezekiel Elliott was still there, just kind of they use him on these gadget plays, like jet sweeps, swing passes, screen passes. They line him up in the slot every now and then. Like he's just, they move him all over the field like a chess piece, and they get him the football in creative ways. And I think that they will continue to do that today. And at $3,900, even if he's not the every down back, I definitely think he's worth a look at that price tag. You know, some of those Bijan touches got to go to somebody else, and I think that a few of them will go to Keelan Robinson, and he has the speed that if he just takes one of those 50 yards to the house, he's immediately paid off his price tag. Now, Washington is a fairly stout run defense. They only give up about 120 yards per game, but Texas is an elite running offense, and their run game is outstanding when they play from ahead. So kind of thinking about correlation here, y'all. If Texas is going to play from ahead, you want Jonathan Brooks in your lineup. If Texas is playing from ahead, that also means you want to target the Washington passing game, Penix, and then the two receivers that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But there's a very interesting correlation stack that you could make with Brooks and then the Washington passing offense as well. All right. Now, the top running back on the board is Muhammad Ibrahim of Minnesota, who finally had his consecutive 100-yard rushing games streak broken at Wisconsin, who's a very good run defense. And 
I don't think that Syracuse is as good of a run defense as Wisconsin. Ibrahim is the top running back play of the slate. Syracuse gives up 150 rushing yards per game. Doesn't matter who's at quarterback, Ibrahim is going to get his, and he's probably going to get a touchdown or two. This game is the lowest scoring of the slate, but if anybody's going to score, my bet would be on Mo Ibrahim, and he is the top running back of the slate. Now let's talk about Oklahoma. So Eric Gray has really taken a hold of this backfield, and he's a great option if he plays. However, I think it's like 90-10 at this point that he doesn't play. He hasn't officially opted out, but from everything I read and everything I see, he's not expected to play. But like I said, he hasn't officially closed the door and opted out. So I am not endorsing you to play Eric Gray. Just just do a little bit of research first. Marcus Major, his normal backup, is in a walking boot still. So I don't think he plays either. So if those two guys don't play, Javante Barnes is who all of the coaches and all of the beat writers are hyping up as the new guy. And then Gavin Sawchuk will be the other available running back for the Sooners. So I think Javante Barnes would be the guy from that Oklahoma backfield that I would be most interested in playing. Like I said, if Eric Gray, if we get some sort of indication that he surprisingly plays, I would be all over him. But Javante Barnes is a guy that I think will take over that role. Oklahoma, the coaches are and the beat writers are really excited about. So I definitely think he could be a guy that would be worth a look and would give you a decent bit of salary relief. Again, that's Javante Barnes of the Sooners. Now for the Syracuse backfield, Sean Tucker just opted out, which leaves LaQuint Allen as the guy who will headline the Syracuse backfield. But He's at a great price tag, but this is not a good spot. It's a tough matchup against Minnesota, who's a good running defense, and it's going to be a low-scoring game. The point total is only 42. So if you're looking to really save some salary and just get a guy who you know might get fancy points off of sheer workload, maybe LaQuint Allen is your guy. But I think there's other places you can go. I'd rather play Ke- uh, Jonathan Brooks. I'd rather play Keelan Robinson. I would rather play Javante Barnes than LaQuint Allen. Now for Florida State, Trey Benson has officially taken hold of this backfield committee. He has 20, 16, and 18 carries in his last three games, and none of the other backs, Ward or Toa Feely, have gotten to 16 carries total in those three games. So this is now Benson's backfield. I'm not interested in playing either of the other two, and I think that there's a lot of upside against the Oklahoma run defense that has been gouged by quarterbacks and running backs all alike. All right, now let's flip on over. Let's take a quick breather first, but let's flip on over to the wide receiver position. All right, had to stifle a cough there at the end of that one. Uh, Anyway, now let's talk about the wide receiver position. So the top options on the board are going to be the two Washington receivers. Well, I say top options in terms of salary. Um, Rome Oduns and Jalen McMillan are huge leaders in target share for the Washington Huskies, and they are deservedly so at the top salary spot in this board. Now, a majority of the rest of the targets are going to Jalen Polk, and it's honestly, like, it's kind of interesting how easy this Washington pass offense is to predict. Really, just those three guys are the only factors. So, Texas is a tough-ish matchup for wide receivers. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier with the quarterbacks, they haven't given up a whole lot all season to quarterbacks. It's really just those two outlier performances by Spencer Sanders and Adrian Martinez. Um, so I think you, if you go with the Washington wideouts, I would be an advocate for if you're playing Penix, you can play either O'Dunn's or McMillan and Polk, 
or you can go with Oduns and McMillan, but you'd really have to play those values at running back. If you went Oduns and McMillan, you probably wouldn't be able to play another high-priced quarterback, or you probably wouldn't be able to play Mo Ibrahim at running back. So I definitely think you have to choose your you know wide receivers wisely here. I would lean Oduns over McMillan, um, but I definitely think both of them have some upside. And like I mentioned earlier, what I might be doing is a little bit of a correlation game stack with Jonathan Brooks at running back and one of these two wide receivers at least. Now for Texas, it's honestly crazy how easy their target share is to predict. In almost every game, in this order, it goes Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders, Jordan Whittington. Now, what's interesting as well is that the type of targets are different. Xavier Worthy gets the premium targets. He gets deep shots. He gets you know medium crossing routes. He gets red zone targets. Um, he is the guy you want to play from this Texas passing attack. Jatavian Sanders gets some scheme touches. He gets the ball on arrow routes, on screens, on like quick outs and crossing routes as well. And then Jordan Whittington is just a possession receiver who is a great PPR guy. He doesn't really catch the ball deep a whole lot, but he's very dependable and he runs good routes and he just, he, you know, piles up the catches total, but he doesn't really score a whole lot of touchdowns. So Whittington, he might be in for a little TD regression and be able to find the end zone in this one. Now, the other guy, it, like it's honestly insane how those three guys are like the only options. Now, the other guy who's been on the field is Savion Red, but like he's really just been out there getting cardio and running routes. Like he doesn't get targeted a whole lot, but if you're looking for a punt play for a guy that's going to be on the field, it is Savion Red. But I would rather, if you're, if you're doing a punt play, I would rather go Keelan Robinson. Um, than Savion Red because I think Keewan Robinson with Bijan Robinson out they're going to look to find ways to get the football in his hands so that that's just my opinion but like I said if you're looking for a punt play for a guy that's on the field Savion Red is that guy now the Syracuse Minnesota game quite frankly both team both teams I should say have one guy that is worth serious consideration and then one guy that is just a dart throw so for Syracuse I would really consider the tight end Aronde Gadsden and for Minnesota, I would really consider the wideout Daniel Jackson. Um, just those two guys are like the alphas in their system. They're the pretty much the elite leaders in target share. Even if it's a low-scoring game, I think those guys are going to be solid in PPR formats. Now, the two dart throws. For Syracuse, Devon Cooper is a guy who's been kind of boom or bust, and he could have a chance at booming. And then for Minnesota, it's the tight end Brevin Spanford. He's on the field all the freaking time. He's a great blocking and receiving tight end. And if he finds the end zone, he could be definitely worth his price tag easily. So like I said, the two considers are Aronde Gaston and Daniel Jackson. The two dart throws are Devon Cooper and Brevin Spanford. Now for the Sooners of Oklahoma, Marvin Mims is the clear leader in targets. And he is headed to the NFL after this game also, but Every indication that I have seen, he is playing in this bowl game. After that, it gets real muddy, though. Theo Weiss is already in the transfer portal, so do not play him. Um, that's going to clear up some targets, though. And it's going to clear up some targets for th the three guys who will be on the field are going to be Willis, Farouk, and Stoops. And they'll all be involved in the offense. So if you're looking to stack Gillen Dylan Gabriel, I would probably say put Marvin Mims in there. And then after Mims... I would probably lean Stoops, but like I said, Willis and Farouk are going to be involved in that offense. Stoops is just a guy who operates out of the slot, and I think that that is a spot where FSU is kind of vulnerable there at the slot. 
Now, speaking of FSU, Johnny Wilson is the receiver who has a lot of upside, and he's the only Seminole who's shown any kind of consistency all season long, but he's still been up and down as well. Um, the rest of the receivers of this Florida State offense, to me, are merely dart throws after Johnny Wilson. Um, you know, just a whole lot of guys that aren't regularly involved, a whole lot of guys that are, you know, have boom performances and then do nothing after that. Um, I would lean, if you're going to play a second Florida State wide receiver, I would lean Malik McClain. He's done the most recently. He had a really solid game against Florida, and before that, I believe it was against Louisiana. So he is the guy that I would lean for the second wide receiver out of Florida State. So when building a lineup here today, like I said, I'm looking to, in a three-game slate, it's going to be super important if you stack a game. I think the Texas-Washington game is stackable. I think the Oklahoma-FSU game is stackable. I think the Texas-Washington one, it would be a little easier to stack because I think that it's very easy to predict who those two offenses are going to be scoring with. But the Oklahoma-FSU game probably has a little more upside because I believe the total in that one is a little higher, and I believe that both of the defenses in that one are a little worse. So just two options to consider. Um, when I'm building my lineups, I'm probably going to start with two of the top three quarterbacks. Um, you know, one of the bargains at running back, maybe try to squeeze Mo Ibrahim in. And then if I, whether I do or don't have Mo Ibrahim is going to determine how much I spend up at the wide receiver position. All right. So that does it for the Thursday bowl preview. If you want to see my full DFS picks, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks, dropping some extra stats and facts that I don't always get to here on the show. And I'm more than happy to answer any lineup or start sick questions. All right, best of luck in all your DFS endeavors, guys. I will be here on the podcast the rest of the week talking college football and NFL, so make sure you stay tuned to the podcast feed. Best of luck to you. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see y'all next time.